The text for this morning's sermon is Matthew chapter 26, the verses 69 through to 75, which we've just read, so we won't read them again. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, it was about half a millennium ago, 1518, Martin Luther spoke at a conference in Heidelberg, and he spoke about two theologies, the theology of the cross and the theology of glory. Which one of those sounds nicer? Well, the theology of glory sounds nice, but it's not. The theology of glory thinks that God and the kingdom of God conform to the way the world is around us. It goes by the world's power structures and by the world's definition of success. But the theology of the cross is different. The theology of the cross acknowledges that things are different in the kingdom of God. The power structures of the world are turned upside down in the kingdom of God. The Lord Jesus said, I came not to be served, but to serve. And the theology of the cross is counterintuitive for the fallen sinner. The scripture says, he who seeks his life will lose it. But he who loses his life for my sake will find it. It says, my power is made perfect in weakness. It says, when I am weak, then I am strong. It says, life comes through death. Glory comes through humiliation. And in our text this morning, Peter discovers the utter bankruptcy of the theology of glory. He learns that the theology of the cross is to deny yourself and to take up your cross and to follow Jesus. That's what he has heard from Jesus himself. But Peter doesn't do that. You look at verse 58, he tentatively follows him from a distance, but instead of really following Jesus, instead of denying himself, Peter denies his Lord. Now to understand what's going on in our text, we need to back up a little bit, a few chapters. You remember back in chapter 16, Peter took leadership among the disciples. Matthew 16, 16, he recognized Jesus as the Christ, the Son of the living God, a glorious confession. And the Lord Jesus said he would build his church on that confession. And Peter even gets his name from this rock-solid confession of a rock-solid fact Jesus said to him, Simon Barjona, this truth is revealed to you from heaven. And because I am going to build my church on this rock-solid foundation, this, this Petra, which is the word in Greek, therefore your name shall be called Peter, Petros, from now on. And every time we read the name Peter, and every time Simon Barjona heard his new name, he was reminded of his confession. Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. Beautiful 
just a few chapters ago, Matthew 16. But there's a problem. Because right after that confession, look at Matthew 16, 21. Jesus began to show his disciples what had to happen, the road of his suffering and his death and the resurrection. And look at Matthew 16, 22 there. Peter said, never. And he piles up the negatives in the Greek. That's not never going to happen, Jesus. And what does Jesus say? Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance. You are not setting your, things on the mind, your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. So what is the problem? Well, Peter is willing to recognize or to rejoice in the fact that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the Savior of God's people, and that's fine. But Peter is not willing to accept what it will take for Christ to do his job, to redeem his people. He is not willing to pay the price. He does not accept the way of the cross, the theology of the cross. Peter is still addicted to the theology of glory, the things of man. So while he may recognize the office of the Christ, he rejects the work that Christ must do, the way of suffering and humiliation and death in which Christ must walk. And Jesus says right there in Matthew 16, 24, you can't be my disciple unless you embrace the way of the cross. So that's the backdrop of what has happened before our chapter. And then we get to chapter uh, 27, which is in front of us this morning, Matthew 26, and look at verse 31. The Lord Jesus again reminds the disciples. He preaches the word. He says, it is written, the scripture must be fulfilled in me. How will God's people be saved? Well, the words of the prophet Zechariah must be fulfilled. I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. That's how it's going to happen. The theology of the cross. It's going to happen through suffering and through brokenness. And Peter again says, no, never, not going to happen. The Spirit-inspired word may say that to save your people, you need to die alone. But I, Peter, am not going to let that happen. And so Peter, once again, rejects the way of the cross. Big words. But look what happens just a little later in verses 36 through to 46. That brave warrior who will stick by Jesus even in the face of death. He is slain by that great enemy's sleep. He leaves Jesus to struggle in prayer alone three times. He leaves Jesus in the Lord. Isn't that rather awkward and rather foreshadowing? Three times. And then when we get to the verses 47 through to 56 of our chapter, it's probably about midnight and, and Peter, Peter wakes up and, and then suddenly there's all that uh, hustle and bustle with, with the people coming to arrest Jesus and, and someone, and, and the Apostle John tells us who it was, it was Peter, someone strikes the servant of the high priest. Just that act again is rejecting the way of the cross. And Jesus says, I have enough force on my side. That, that's not the point, Peter. Look at verse 54. How then should the scriptures be fulfilled? Your way goes against the way of God, Peter. Your way is the way of the success 
of man. But look at verse 56. All this has taken place that the scriptures of the prophets might be fulfilled. And Peter, you with your theology of glory, you with your boastful, loud protestations that you will single-handedly prevent my suffering. Peter, you stand in the way of my redeeming work. It is not of man. It is a work that no human power can accomplish unaided. So you see this tension building up since chapter 16, and it's still here in, in our chapter of this morning. And then in verses 57 through to 68, Jesus is dragged most likely to the the home of Caiaphas. And we can imagine that home being a group of buildings around a courtyard with a covered passageway from the street into the inner courtyard. That's kind of where the scene is in our text. And Jesus does not deny who he is before the high priest. He is the Son of Man. And he will come on the clouds in judgment at the right hand of God. And when he confesses that, the high priest has no doubt. He says, it's blasphemy. This man here is saying that he is the Christ, the son of the living God. He deserves death. And they they set upon Jesus and they spit on him and strike him and mock him. Why? For being who Peter confessed him to be. The Christ, the Son of the living God. The Lord Jesus just made the exact confession that Peter made back in chapter 16. And you would expect Peter to be standing right next to him saying, oh yes, amen, that's true. But instead, look at verse 69. Peter was sitting outside. Right there in the courtyard inside. The cross is happening, the way of the cross. The ancient prophecies are being fulfilled. Isaiah chapter 50, I gave my back to those who strike and my cheeks to those who pull out the beard. I hid not my face from disgrace and spitting. Right there inside the house of the high priest, Jesus is walking the way of the cross. And outside, Peter is still operating with the theology of glory. Look at verse 58. He he came to see the end, it says in the scripture. He's watching to see the end because that's what he expects from Jesus' way of the cross. All this talk about serving and suffering and humbling yourself and denying yourself and and humiliation, that's not going to get you anywhere. It's going to fail. And now this great boaster, the one who said, I'm never going to let this happen to you, Jesus. I'll go down fighting. I'll die with you even if everybody else runs away. This great boaster is defeated by a few words from a simple serving girl. She says, weren't you with Jesus too? Weren't you with the accused, with, with the Galilean? And when those words Galilean are spoken comes with a whole world of meaning. The Galileans were not mighty. They were not sophisticated. They weren't successful people. They were rustic. They were backwards. They were living in a despised area. If you're trying to 
operate with the theology of glory and worldly success. Being a follower of the Galilean is all the wrong branding. It's not something you can build a cool megachurch with and attract all the cool people. It's not going to work. And so Peter denied before them all. Look at verse 7. He denied before them all, saying, I do not know what you mean. It just slips out so easily because self-preservation kicks in. You see, that's, that's connected. That's just in the DNA of the theology of glory. Success and self-preservation at all costs, even if it means denying the gospel, even if it means denying the Savior whom we claim to worship with loud protestations. In the end, the show must go on, no matter what you have to cut, no matter what you have to deny. And so Peter has forgotten the teaching of the master. You remember what he said back in Matthew chapter 10, whoever denies me before men, I will deny before my father. And notice how how clever the sinful human heart can be in its self-deception. He says, I don't know what you're talking about. So he denies without denying. He throws up a cloud uh, of, of smoke. I don't know what you're talking about. You've got to maintain deniability. I, I really didn't say that in so many words. I didn't say in so many words, I deny Jesus. I just said, I don't know. I don't know what you're talking about. How often don't we do that? How often do not we sidestep and and use avoidance techniques so we don't have to identify with the shame of following Jesus the Galilean? How often do we not console ourselves that we didn't actually deny him in so many words? And so Peter, he's got to get out of here. He goes out into the entrance. So he'd been in the inner courtyard, and he could see a little bit into the, into the house, but now he's trying to get through that covered passageway and out into the street. Peter's on the run. This is the man that said, I'm going to stick with you even to death, Jesus. He's on the run. He's running away from Jesus. But it's not death only that Peter is running from. Peter's running from shame and from failure and suffering and humiliation. Peter is running from the way of the cross. But there's another serving girl. There's another one. This man was with Jesus of Nazareth. And Nazareth has the same world of meaning as the word Galilean. It was a poor and underdeveloped and unsophisticated and unimportant place. It was far from the center of power, success, and and wealth. And Peter denies with an oath now. He's getting all tangled up in his theology of glory. That's what happens when you worship success and power according to the world's terms. When it comes down to the wire, you will jettison. You will cut loose every doctrine, every confession, every truth of God which the world finds objectionable, which the world ridicules, which the world mocks. That's what Peter's doing. He, with an oath, he calls God to witness that his lie 
is truth. He says, I do not know the man. Well, you remember Matthew, uh, Matthew 16. Jesus says, who do you say that I am? Peter, I know who you are. I know you, Jesus. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And now Peter is saying, well, if this truth is going to hurt me, if it's going to inconvenience me, if it's going to set me back and endanger me and embarrass me, well, then I have no idea who the guy is. So Peter's making a break for it, verse 73. He's getting nearer to the street, nearer to the gate into the street, but runs into another. Your accent betrays you, they say. You see, the Galileans had a a rustic accent. didn't sound very fancy and civilized to the sophisticated people in Jerusalem. They found it kind of funny and slightly ridiculous. I remember reading an article about a person from Newfoundland who came to Toronto and wanted to work in business and was told you need to learn to speak Ontario English if you want to get ahead. People are going to make fun of you. Those kind of things have been happening for a long time amongst human beings. Your accent betrays you. Verse 74, he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear. So he's cursing, invoking curses on himself and on Christ. Just if you have your Bible open, 1 Corinthians 12.3 is an important verse that we need to keep in mind here. 1 Corinthians 12.3, where the, the apostle says, Therefore I want you to understand that no one speaking the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Here we get to the very heart of the problem with the theology of glory. It's a type of Christianity which is devoid of the Spirit of God. It is a type of Christianity which is full of the Spirit of man and of the world. And it is useless. And it is good for nothing. And you can't put any weight on it because it fails you in the hour of your greatest need. Peter's crossless Christianity drives him to abandon Christ in order to save his own skin. And immediately, the rooster crowed. And Peter remembers. He remembers the word Jesus had spoken. Now, Matthew often emphasizes that from the very beginning of the gospel. He keeps emphasizing, it is written, it is written. It came to pass as it was written. It was fulfilled as it was written. And here again, as went the word of the Lord, so it happened. Peter and Jesus had very different ideas about how things would work out, how how things should work out. And all of Peter's great ideas and plans are exposed as abject failures. What Jesus said has come true. Because the Jesus who said, you will deny me three times, is the same Jesus who spoke through the prophets. He is the word of God. And what he says is. What he says happens. What he says is truth. And Peter's theology of glory is exposed as empty, as fraudulent, 
in his refusal to deny himself, his hopes and his aspirations, his worldview, his idea of success, he has ended up denying Christ himself. And that's horrifying. That rooster crowing confronts him with his sin. Now there are two ways that we can react when our sin is exposed and when we have to face the painful consequences of our sin. We can have remorse or repentance. Remorse is I don't like my sin because I don't like the unpleasant consequences of my sin. I wish I hadn't done that because now it has made my life less pleasant. That's remorse. In chapter 27, verse 3, Judas has remorse. He doesn't like the consequences of his sin. It's unpleasant, so he ends his life by suicide. But the Apostle Paul, writing to the Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 7, he speaks about worldly grief, which produces death. That's remorse. But godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret. That's what we see here in our brother Peter. He went out and wept bitterly. Peter remembered the word. And we know the rest of the story. We know the story of Peter's restoration by the Lord Jesus there on the beach. Do you love me, Peter? Three times. We know this is a godly grief. Peter has been driven to abandon the theology of glory and to embrace the theology of the cross. And there's only one way that you can move from the one to the other, and that is through true repentance. Now, we all deny. The question is, whom do we deny? We either deny ourselves or we deny the Savior. And the Lord Jesus this morning again, believer, he calls you. If anyone would be my disciple, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. And so the question the Spirit puts before us this morning is, whom are we denying? This text is a call to the church. Stop trying to be accepted by the world. Stop soft-pedaling the truths of God so that you can avoid ridicule from the cultural elites. Stop trying to market yourself as something that the world finds attractive and cool and acceptable. Are we in our neighborhood, our workplace, our place of study, are we willingly, are we, are we ready to lovingly and humbly and gently and calmly stand up for Jesus, to stand with the Christ and confess that he is the way the truth, and the life, even if it means that the world will lash out and call us hateful and bigoted and intolerant and backwards and unsophisticated and gullible and stupid. Is there room for repentance for us? Is there room for us to weep bitterly? Is the Spirit calling on us to give up the theology of glory and to embrace the theology of the cross? Is this a call for us to repent? Brother, sister, if you look to yourself, you will deny him. 
But if you deny yourself, you will look to him. And Peter, full of the grace of the Holy Spirit, by God's mercy in his life, he ended up embracing the way of the cross. And you read his epistles and you read all about it. He writes his epistles about how to rejoice in suffering for Christ and, and with Christ. And according to tradition, Peter was crucified upside down because he said, I don't, I'm not worthy to die like my master. He learned that the way of the cross is the way to glory. He learned to look to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is now seated at the right hand of God. So, brothers and sisters, consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In the great battle of cosmic kingdoms, you cannot stand for a moment in your own strength, but look to Jesus. Cry out to him to empower you by his indwelling spirit. He is faithful. He cannot break his promises. So many times we, we let him down, we miss the opportunity to testify that he is the Christ. Time and time again we fail and we fall and time and time again he picks us up and sets us straight and time and time again he reminds us in the power of my spirit you can do this. You can be my disciple. You can deny yourself. You can take up your cross and follow me. So follow me. The way of suffering, the way of humiliation, embrace it because it is the way which goes through the valley of the shadow of death and ends up in eternal glory. Amen.